So we are wrapping up our Functional Family series today. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Have you enjoyed this series over the past uh, three, four weeks? Yeah? And I know... I know for, for many people, it has been a, a very difficult series. You know, anytime you start talking about uh, families, sometimes that doesn't bring up good memories for a lot of people. And then there's also some people who, you know, maybe don't find themselves in a family currently, but they've been in a family. We've all been in a family because we're here. So that lets us know we have a mother and a father, right? But for some people, they're not at that stage where a lot of the, the content we've been talking, they can apply it. So I want to challenge, continue to challenge you. If that's you, find other areas in your life where you can take what we're we're teaching and use it in those work, uh, those workplace environments, relationships with your neighbors. There's so much valuable information and just how we engage and interact uh, with others. But today, like I said, we're wrapping up our functional family series. And I hope that over the past several weeks, you've had a chance to, to learn some practical tools from God's word. And you've been able to use that in a way to make uh, life in your relationships a little better at home. And so if you recall back in week one, we looked at God's design for families, right? And we, we said that God designed families to be a place where you could be known intimately, supported continually, and loved unconditionally. We looked at the story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, and God created everything and said it was good, including man. But then once man was created, and he realized that it is not good for man to be alone, and so what did he do? He created Eve. He created a helpmeet for Eve who could be there to love and support him. And, and so through that, we had the family unit, and that introduced the idea of covenant. And through covenant, we're able to love uh, in our families, show love in our families unconditionally the way that God loves us. You see, God is the designer and the creator of marriage and family. So here, here's what I challenged you in that first week. If God is the designer and creator of marriage and family, then it would be wise to consider the plan. It would be wise to consider the blueprint that he has provided us for marriage and for family. And then in week two, Tim talked about forgiveness. And we learned, uh, we learned a little bit about how to do an effective apology. And there's certain things in an apology. You need to be clear when you're uh, apologizing. You can't be just vague. And Tim gave us a couple of sentences uh, to use when you are apologizing. We'll put them up here. One was, uh, be specific. So I was wrong when I, and then fill in the blank. Let them know what you were wrong about. And the second, when you're asking for forgiveness, will you forgive me for and then reiterate what it is you're actually asking forgiveness for. So it's important to be specific when you are apologizing. And last week, we looked at communication and learned how our tongue has the power to speak death or how our tongue has the power to speak life. And if you remember, I gave you an acronym for the word life to help us remember how we can speak life into our family and speak life into the relationships in our world. And I even gave you a couple hand gestures last week. So I thought it'd be fun if we practiced them and see if you guys remembered anything from last week. So the acronym for life, we'll go through letter by letter. Who remembers what L was for? Shout it out. Listen. And what do we do when we listen? We yeah, we cover our mouth, right? We cover our mouth so we can hear what's being said to us. What was the I for? Invite, right? Invite others into the conversation. What about the F? Put them up, right? Fight fair, right? There's going to be times where you have to fight in your, in your marriage, fight in your family. But if you have the good ground rules and fight fair, it's going to help out tremendously. And finally, the last one, E. Who remembers what E was for? Encourage. What do we do when we encourage? Woo, woo, right? We build others up, right? When you speak life, when you speak edifying words into people and encourage them, you are building them up. 
So today as we conclude this series, we're going to consider everything that we've discussed over the past few weeks, but today we're going to, is, today's going to be a day for a decision. It's going to be a chance for you to make an opportunity to make a choice going forward with you and your family. Now maybe in all your family history, you've never had a good example of what a healthy, happy, and functional family looks like. Maybe you feel like your family's even cursed. Generation after generation of divorce, hurt, and brokenness. Maybe you feel like you've made terrible decisions of your own when it comes to communication, terrible decisions when it comes to forgiveness, or maybe you never even considered God's original design when it comes to family. But I want to tell you today that no matter what your past no matter how dysfunctional your family or family dynamic may be, it is never too late. It's never too late to stop the cycle of dysfunction in your family. Now, last week I shared a little bit about how I struggled with communication early on in my my late teens and and early 20s as I started to date. And I I briefly mentioned that those communication issues led to uh, relationship issues due to sudden outbursts of anger on my part. Now, for those of you who, who know me a little bit today, it might be hard for you to, to think that I was someone who used to struggle with anger. But anger used to be a real struggle for me, uh, especially in my teenage years and in my early 20s. And I remember first noti- noticing this when I was in about ninth grade. I would uh, made the varsity tennis team. And I, I've already shared, you know, I played a lot of basketball and football growing up. Those were different than tennis. In basketball and in football, there's, there's a, a, such a team effort going on. You're dependent upon the person next to you, and there's, there's plays for the whole team. But tennis was a very individualistic sport. So everything, the, the success or failure was completely dependent upon my preparation and my effort. And so I would get extremely frustrated playing tennis. And I know we have a lot of pickleball players out there too, right? A lot of you guys play pickleball and you probably noticed some of that frustration. So there was times where, you know, I'm conditioned well and I'm sprinting across the court to return a volley. I, I take a great stroke and then it hits the top of the net and you just hear it hit that net so hard and it just missed by a, a matter of an inch or two. And my instant response was to then a lot of times take the racket and smash it on the ground like it was the racket's fault, right? Or I would take the racket and just throw it into the net. You know, real immature. Now, what I noticed in all my years playing tennis is there were not many other tennis players who reacted the way that I did, with the exception of maybe John McEnroe, right, in the, in the 80s. But I, I could not control it. And so it hit the point to where my tennis coach would actually have to punish me for any time I had an outburst of anger on the tennis court. Most of those happened in practice, but occasionally they happened during a match. And so what my coach would do is he, anytime I showed an outburst of anger, is he would just do this. And that meant get down and give me 25 push-ups. And so that happened a lot in practice. And there were times where that even happened in a match. And that was embarrassing when to have your coach walk out on the, the middle of the court and just do this. And I have to do 25 push-ups Um, just because I could not control my anger. So this anger, it stemmed from frustration that I wasn't performing as well as I thought I could have. And so sometimes my anger was the result of my own expectations of myself. But as I got into my late teens and early 20s and I began dating, I would often let the actions, the attitudes, and even the expectations that I had put on others affect me as well. See, as long as things were going good in my life, As long as things are going my way, I was perfectly fine. 
But that really doesn't take much effort, does it? If everything's going well for you to be happy. No, that's easy to do. But if something threw me off, if something took me by surprise, I could tend to get just a little bit ugly. As I mentioned last week, dating for me felt like I was in a game where I didn't know the rules, I didn't know how to play, I didn't know how to succeed, didn't know how to win. And so rarely did things go the way I thought they were going to go in my dating life. So while I was dating, I would go on to have these outbursts of anger, and it often led to certain actions that looked like this. Sometimes I'd get into an argument with a girlfriend, and then I would be like, well, I'm going to leave, and I would slam the door. I would get in my vehicle and peel out the driveway and let her know as I drove down the street as aggressively and loud as I could that she really upset me. And so I thought that was, that was okay. Um, I would often raise my voice in a heated discussion. There was times where I would just hang up the phone mid-conversation. Real mature, right? Uh, I even once punched a door because I could not control my anger. So when things didn't go my way, I felt like I had the right to lose control. Actually, I didn't even believe that I was losing control. I thought that if you did something to set me off, then you should have known that I was going to react this way. So it was actually your fault. And you you laugh at that, but that's truly what I believed. I thought that I was just reacting based on what you did, so it was your fault. If you don't want me to act this way, don't treat me that way. And that's what I truly believed. So this this harmful, dangerous cycle of dysfunction, of anger, began to formulate in my life. Something would set me off. I'd respond in anger. It would harm the relationship. The relationship would eventually end. And so then on to the next relationship. And then once again, it would happen all over again. There would be frustration. I'd respond in anger. I'd say something hurtful, do something uh, aggressive, and then the relationship would end. So finally, after going through a couple of these difficult relationships in my early dating years, I had a good friend who spoke some hard, honest truth to me. And he said, hey, Jake, I think you have an anger issue. A couple weeks later, that was confirmed by a few mentors in my life as I was kind of talking through why these relationships weren't working out. And they kind of agreed to the same thing, that Jake, I think you have an issue with anger. And so in my early 20s, I was about 22, 23 years old, after hearing many people say the same thing, that they saw this issue in me, I thought, you know what? I should probably try to get some help with this. And so a church in our our area was offering an anger management class. And so I signed up and I took this anger management course and I learned so many valuable things in that course. Now, the first few weeks that I showed up, I almost felt like I didn't belong because I'm, you know, in my early 20s, most people in there were probably 40, 50, 60 older. But what I heard from these people is they were, I heard uh, mothers and fathers who no longer had relationship with their kids because things had gotten so bad, so out of control. There were many husbands in there who had restraining orders against them from their wives. And so I learned that, man, my my issues with anger aren't nearly as bad as most of these people. But I also had enough wisdom to realize I don't want my future to look like that. I don't want to be in my 30s, 40s, and 50s, and I have kids who won't even return my phone call. To have a wife who has a restraining order or an ex-wife who has a restraining order against me, that's not what I want my life to look like. So what can I do? What can I learn from this anger management class to get my anger under control? One of the most important things I learned in that class was that I alone am responsible for my own actions. I'm, I'm responsible for my reaction to the actions of others. 
And no matter what someone says, no matter what someone does to me, it does not give me the right to retaliate in anger. So I left that class understanding that I needed to be in control of my actions. You see, when you respond in anger, you're actually responding in weakness. Because what you've done when you respond in anger, you have given up control to someone else. And so you've relinquished control to either someone else or to the situation. And so during my time in that anger management class, hearing all those stories of brokenness, I realized that that was going to be the result if I continued down that path. So I knew I had to do something. I knew I had to do something to get my anger in check and to stop the cycle of dysfunction that was happening within me. Now, if we take a, a look at our own lives, I'm sure we can all find areas where we, there's something in our lives where we need to stop the cycle. We see the same thing happening again and again. We're acting in a certain way, and it leads to a result that we don't like. And then we just repeat it over and over. And so I, I encourage you today to be thinking about what are some of those areas in your life where you feel like you need to stop or to break the cycle. And so there's going to be some of you in here today who feel like you need to do a deep clean. When you, it's, it's almost springtime here. Many of you are going to you know, be cleaning out the garage, doing a spring cleaning. You get rid of the junk. And so today there's going to be a challenge to really do a deep clean in our lives and to get rid of the junk, to get rid of the dysfunction that we're carrying in our lives. So what is it in your life where you need to stop the cycle of dysfunction? We're going to look at a story today, which can be found in 1 Kings chapter 15, as well as 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And this is the story of King Asa. Let me give you a little bit of backdrop on this story. So the nation of Israel had three kings. You had King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. And after King Solomon's death in 931 BCE, the nation of Israel was divided and it split into two. So in the north, you had, there were 12 tribes of Israel, but when it broke, 10 of those 12 tribes remained in the north, and they were collectively known as the kingdom of Israel. And then in the south, there were two tribes remaining, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and they would be known as the kingdom of Judah. Now, over the next 200 years, the northern kingdom, Israel, they would go on to have 19 kings, um, and up until the year 721 BCE, when they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And out of those 19 kings over that 200-year period, all 19 kings did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that's what you call a generational pattern of dysfunction, 200 years of dysfunction. Now, Judah in the southern kingdom, they would have 20 kings over a period of 338 years until they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians in, in 587. Out of those 20 kings, they didn't do much better. 14 of those kings did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Yet there were six, six out of 20 kings who did right in the eyes of the Lord. And King Asa happened to be the first one of those kings who did right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, King Asa's grandfather was Rehoboam, who was the first king of Judah. And listen to what is said about him in 1 Kings 14, beginning in verse 22 to 23. It says, during Rehoboam's reign, the people of Judah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, provoking his anger with their sin, for it was even worse than that of their ancestors. For they also built for themselves pagan shrines and set up sacred pillars and asherah poles on every high hill and under every given tree. Verse 24 goes on to say, the people imitated the detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land 
ahead of the Israelites. So that is King Asa's grandfather. Now, King Asa's father, Abijam, did not do much better. Listen to what's recorded about him in 1 Kings 15, beginning in verse 3. It says, he committed the same sins as his father. You see this generational dysfunction. Um, And he was not faithful to the Lord his God, as his ancestor David had been. But for David's sake, the Lord his God allowed his descendants to continue ruling, shining like a lamp, and he gave Abijam a son to rule after them in Jerusalem. If you jump down to verse 7, it goes on to say that there was constant war between Abijam and Jeroboam. Jeroboam, he was the king of Israel in the north. So when Abijam died, he was buried in the city of David, and then Asa became the next king. Asa began to rule over Judah, and in the 20th year of Jeroboam's reign in Israel, he reigned in Jerusalem 41 years. His grandmother was Makkah, the granddaughter of Absalom. We're going to get back to his grandmother in just a few minutes. Now, in this series, we've been talking about how we can live happy, healthy, and functional lives within our family, but sometimes you might feel a little bit like King Asa. And all you can see, the only reference that you have is generation after generation of dysfunction within your family. Maybe you don't have a single relationship that you can look at within your family tree and say, that's the way to do it. They did it right. I want to imitate them. Maybe you can only see generations of divorce, generation after generation of brokenness and hurt. And sometimes it might be so bad that you might even think that that you are cursed. But I want to assure you of this today. You're not cursed. God is greater than your past. God is greater than your past. He's greater than your past mistakes. He's greater than the mistakes of your parents, greater than the mistakes of your grandparents. God is greater than your personal struggles. He's greater than the struggle that I had with anger. God is greater than your addictions. God is greater than your feelings. In 1 John 3.20, it says, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. So no matter what obstacle you're facing, God is greater. So when Asa became king, facing generation after generations of dysfunction, generations of disobedience, generations of idolatry, generations of continuous war, and just like many of us, Asa had a choice. He could continue down that road that he saw from his parents and grandparents. He could continue down that road of dysfunction, or he could choose to stop the cycle of dysfunction and venture down a new path, a path that would be pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. So when Asa took the throne at a young age, the first thing he did is he instituted a series of religious reforms. He started, he began right in his own home. The first thing he did is he got rid of all the idols that his ancestors had made. Verse 13, it says, he even disposed his grandmother Makah from her position as queen mother because she had made an obscene Asherah pole. Now, Asherah poles, they were sacred poles, usually about 20 to 60 feet high, and they were scattered all throughout the land, all throughout Judah, and they, they were to bring tribute to the pagan fertility goddess Asherah. And so he removed his grandmother from her position because she continued to create these poles. He cut her down her obscene pole and burned it in the Kidron Valley. If you flip over to 2 Chronicles 14, 
It goes on to say that Asa then went all throughout Judah. So he started this personal reform in his home, and then he extended it all throughout the land. It says he removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his law and his commands. Asa also removed the pagan shrines as well as the incense altars from every one of Judah's towns. So Asa's kingdom enjoyed a period of peace. So Asa, he is literally cleaning house, isn't he? So verse 6 says, during those peaceful years, he was able to build, he was able to build up the fortified towns throughout Judah. No one tried to make war against him at this time, for the Lord was giving him rest from his enemies. You see, it's, it's interesting when we take the time to clean out the things that don't belong. Now all of a sudden we have room to work on the things that we need to work on. And so he had a time where he was able to build up the walls in Jerusalem, which would keep the enemies out. And they had peace for many years. Verse 7, Asa told the people of Judah, let us build towns and fortify them with walls, towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we sought the Lord our God, and he has given us peace on every side. So they went ahead with these projects and brought them to completion. So after many years of peace, an Egyptian army finally came up against them. But they, because they'd had this time to build up and to work on what they needed, they had, a fort, they, had, uh, they had strong walls all around them. And so this Egyptian army outnumbered them two to one. They had a million, a million troops and 300 chariots that came up against King Asa. But King Asa did not fear the enemy for a second. He knew that God was greater than anything or anyone that could come up against him. Now, now King Asa, he never... He never would have met his great, 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 great grandfather, David. But you're going to see some, some things here that Asa says that will remind you of King David when King David slayed Goliath. You see, when you put God first and you do things God's way, he's going to fill you with this courage that anything is possible. And so it says here in 2 Chronicles 14, 11 to 12, is they're, they're about to face attack from the, the uh, Ethiopians. He cried out to the Lord his God and said, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you alone. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against us. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa and the army of Judah, and the enemy fled. See, King Asa made a decision to stop the cycle of pagan worship that had been handed down to him generation after generation. Even though it may have looked like they were powerless against an, an army that outnumbered them two to one, he trusted God that they would prevail. See, when you put a stop to the cycle of dysfunction in your life, when you put a, a stop to the cycle of dysfunction in your family, you can trust that God will lead you to victory, no matter how impossible it may seem. So when King Asa became king of Judah, he was following up generations of pagan worship, cult practices, and continuous war. Yet despite the corruption and idolatry that had been handed down generation after generation from those who did what was detestable in the eyes of the Lord, look what's recorded about King Asa. And this is for the first time in generations. It says, Asa did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight as his ancestor David had done. He made a choice. 
He made a choice to stop the cycle of dysfunction that had plagued the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And King Asa established a new legacy. And so are you willing Are you willing to clean house the way that King Asa did? Are you willing to smash down generations of dysfunction and brokenness that have been handed down to you? You see, you do not have to repeat the mistakes that your parents or your grandparents or their parents or grandparents made. You can make the decision to stop the cycle of dysfunction today. It's like King Asa started from a rough place. His father, his grandfather, even his grandmother, they all did things the wrong way. But King Asa said, no more. He said, it stops here. It stops here. Rather than repeating those mistakes, he stopped the cycle and created a new one. And so can you. You know, we can learn a lot about this third king of Judah. Asa teaches us to rely on God alone and not to rely on our family history or past mistakes to determine our future for ourselves and for our family. I want to show you a video here in just a few seconds. And this video is about a a young lady who many of you are going to recognize. And I love her story because it, it reminds me that so often we look at someone that we see at church each and every single week and we just assume, man, they must have such an awesome life. I see them and they're just so, so bubbly and happy every week. They must, they're, they must be so lucky. I bet their parents did things the right way and their grandparents did the right thing. And I wish I kind of had that in my life, right? But so often there's more to the story. And when you learn someone's story, you're like, wow, your life looks so good and like it's a model of what we should do. And then you understand, wow, but it came from such brokenness. But that can give us encouragement of what God can do in our lives. And so I want to just share this story with you. Um, her name's Tiffany, and many of you will recognize her. Is she, she leads with our, our little kids each and every week here at Epic. But check out Tiffany's story. I come from generations of dysfunctional families. My great-grandparents were all divorced except one set. My one great-grandfather was a bigamist, so he had a couple of families going on at the same time. My great-grandmother raised my grandma as her own. In fact, my grandma thought that her biological mother was her sister most of her life. I was eight years old when my parents got divorced, and from what I can remember, their marriage was pretty toxic. We did not really have a healthy environment. Thankfully, my mother got my little brother and I plugged into a local church right after she divorced my father. And I was 10 years old when I got saved at our youth camp that we went to that summer. However, I lived in a broken family, so I went to my father's house every other weekend. And my mother's house versus my father's house was very different. I just never had that father-daughter relationship like a lot of girls have. And I never had that bond with my father that I just craved deep down inside. In high school, my first boyfriend that I had, I just clung to him. And we had a very unhealthy relationship. We were on again, off again, all through high school. And then at 19, I got pregnant. Then at 20, my little boy was born. And I thought, well, the right thing to do is to get married. And I was trying to patch together this relationship to make it work. Then at 21, after the cops were called in a horrible fight that my husband and I had, 
and my son was witnessing this whole thing at only a year old, I realized I had to do something. I had to break the cycle. I refused to let my little boy see this happen and to see his mama treated this way. I had no job, I had no money. Um, we had to leave the house, so I had no house. So my son and I, we checked into the local women's shelter. Shortly thereafter, my vehicle got repossessed. I felt like I was drowning in life. I literally felt like I was going through hell. Thankfully, my mother was involved in her local church and she connected me to one of her pastors for some solid biblical counseling. So I received counseling for about six months and it was pretty intense. I literally had to like rewire my brain on what a healthy family looks like. I had to learn truth and what God says a healthy marriage should be. A few months after that, I decided to rededicate my life to Christ and I got baptized at that church. And it just so happened that the same pastor that was counseling me was there to baptize me. A few years later, I married my husband and we decided that we wanted to have a solid biblical foundation to raise our family and we wanted to raise our family up in the local church. It's no coincidence at all that Pastor Trent, the same pastor that counseled me, the same pastor that baptized me, had started a local church at that time. So it's evident that that was the church we were gonna join. God has allowed me to raise up disciples in my own family, and I am showing them what a healthy, happy, functional family looks like. And I pray that they will have solid faith in who Jesus Christ is and that they will continue to have functional families. I am living proof that you can break the cycle through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. You can do anything through Him who gives you strength. That's, uh, what a powerful story. And that's just one of the many stories uh, from here within Epic where people have made a decision to do things God's way. They made a decision to stop the cycle of dysfunction. They made a decision to put God first, to seek the design that he has for family. Made a decision when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to communication, and I love how in that, in that video, Tiffany's talking about how she's raising disciples up within her own family. Her and her husband are modeling for their kids what it looks like to have a godly marriage. And that's going to impact their kids, their kids, and their kids for many generations. In just a few minutes, I want to give you an opportunity as well. An opportunity to make a choice today to make a choice to say, it stops here. To stop that cycle of dysfunction. To begin brand new, doing things God's way. So maybe God's asking you to do a deep clean in your life. Like me, maybe you're noticing that you have a, a, a pattern, a dysfunctional pattern of anger or some other vice that you're holding onto. And you realize that's something that does not need to be a part of my future. And God's asking you to do a deep clean and to get rid of that. Maybe there's some areas of unforgiveness that you need to work out. Maybe there's some dysfunctional communi communication patterns in your home that you need to get rid of. 
Maybe like Tiffany, you've had generations of divorce, brokenness, and hurt. You might feel like you're cursed to walk down that same road, but you're not. You can make the choice today, just like King Asa, and say, this stops today. You don't need to be held down by your family history. You don't need to be held down by your past mistakes. You can begin a new legacy for you and your family today. So if I can get everyone to just go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes. If that's you today, if that's you, if you wanna make a choice to stop the cycle of dysfunction and to begin brand new, doing things God's way, if you desire to have a happy, healthy, and functional family, just go ahead and slip your hand up. Go ahead and just slip your hand up and say, yeah, I see hands going up all across the room. Thank you. Thank you. See, God, I need to stop doing what I've been doing because it's not working. I need to do things your way. And maybe you're not here with your family today, but maybe you can... You can stand in the gap for your family. And so what I want to ask here, I want to ask whether you raise your hand or not, if you can go ahead and just stand. If you want to symbolically take a stand right now, say, I want to do things God's way. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you today. And if you want to receive that prayer, just go ahead and stand. You won't be the only one. It's going to be people standing up all across the room. But the blessing I want to pray over you today, it's known as the priestly blessing. And God told Moses, he told Moses that anytime that Aaron or his sons who were the priestly line, anytime that they prayed this prayer of blessing over their people, that God himself would bless them. And so God, I pray for those who are standing right now, Father. God, I pray that you will fill them with favor. Lord, that you will protect their families. God, I pray that walls of hostility will come down. I pray for forgiveness to take place where it needs to take place. God, I pray for each and every person that's standing, Lord, that they will learn how to speak life into their families and into their relationships. I pray blessing over them. God, thank you that, that you created families to be a place where we can be known a place where we can be supported, a place where we can be loved unconditionally. And I just want to ask everyone to stand and receive this blessing. I'm going to just pray a prayer that, pray that priestly prayer over you and your families today. And so, Father, we come before you. Lord, we receive your blessing today. And so may the Lord bless you May the Lord protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. Amen.